Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, but let's just jump right into it. So uh, years ago, I took a class at, um, with Liberty University uh, to get my bachelor's. It was one of my classes. It was an elective. And I wanted to take the opportunity with the elective to uh, learn more about scripture. And so it was a book study class on the book of John, which is my personal favorite book. And um, Jonathan, because I learned a lot about that book, um, I have a lot of notes, a lot of commentaries on that book, he's encouraged me with taking over the youth recently um, to, to start in the book of John, to use that, use what I know, and to attack that chap- those books, th- that book, those chapters, and um, to preach to the students with that. Um, and so, in the same way, he probably would have encouraged me to come and do John this morning, and I was, uh, but the Lord uh, turned it around. So sorry, Jonathan, we're in Mark today. Um, So if you want to go ahead and you can turn to Mark chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 16. And if you'll stand as well, and let's read God's word together. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. I'm reading in the ESV. It says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called to them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray. God, you are good. And Father, we thank you so much for this passage. God, I thank you for just the accounts of the Gospels, Father, and the chance that we have to read firsthand accounts of the life of Jesus, to hear Jesus' words written on paper, Father, to read them out and to be able to preach them and teach them, Father. I pray that you would use this time, God, that you would move me out of the way. Father, what I have prepared is solely by your grace, Father. And I pray that you would move me off the pedestal, Father, that um, I would remove myself from the pedestal, God, and that we would all together use this time to dive into your word and not rely on my words, but to rely on the, the scripture that's being read. So, Father, use this time. Use me. Use this church. We love you. We praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So just a little introduction into this passage and into the book of Mark. Right? This is talking about Jesus, Jesus' life. And so Jesus, at this point, he has began his ministry. He's gathering people to become sharers in the message that he's preaching. There's a message that Jesus is trying to get out. It's a message, a message that he has been sent by God to teach. And so he is gathering sharers in this message. He's finding people to be sharers in the message that he's preaching. And for all intents and purposes, these people that Jesus was, call, were, was calling, excuse me, I'm nervous. The people that Jesus was calling, they were people that were unexceptional. They were normal people, normal men Normal women, these were normal people, unexceptional in the eyes of the world. And we see that he initially calls four people, three of whom he will eventually consider to be his inner circle. That is Simon, James, and John. Simon, who eventually becomes Peter, his inner circle. And there are two accounts in Scripture 
of what I believed were accounts of when Jesus calls his first disciples. And so it was actually this past Wednesday that I preached out of to the youth out of the John passage. It was John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. And I'm going to read that with you now. Uh, you don't have to turn there. But it says, The next day John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And so when I initially read this passage, uh, I, was, I was assuming that this passage and the one we just read in Mark were the same event. And so Jesus is calling his first two disciples. And so in the Mark passage that we just read, we see that those two people that he was talking to are Andrew and Peter, Simon. But we look at the John passage, and we see that he calls two of John the Baptist's disciples. So John the Baptist was a person who was, he was preparing a way for the Lord, right? And he had disciples of his own. Andrew was one of these. But it says that there were two. And it doesn't specify who the second one was. And we know that it wasn't Peter because Andrew left and had to go get Peter. And so that makes me think that maybe these two passages, Mark 1, 16 through 20, and John 1, 35 through 42, are two separate events. And so I think the most accurate interpretation of these two passages and what is going on is that these are two separate events. You see, John the Baptist is walking with two disciples, one named Andrew. The other is not identified, but it's assumed to be John, the son of Zebedee. And so we look and we think that, wait, the Mark passage says Andrew and Simon. The Matthew passage in Matthew 4 says the same thing. Is this a contradiction? The answer is no. If we read Mark 1... Verse 14, we see that John the Baptist in the Mark account has already been put, put in prison. He's not present here, but in the John passage, he is. And so we see it was prior to the Mark passage. John the Baptist was present in John because he had not been arrested yet, but in Mark, he had been arrested. So Jesus, to sum all that up, I know that was confusing. It took me like an hour to figure that out. But to sum that up, Jesus, he first called Andrew and John, the son of Zebedee. And then these two, they went out and they found their brothers. Andrew went to Peter. John went to James along the Sea of Galilee. And it's in the Mark passage where Jesus sees the four of them and calls the four to be disciples. And so this and to be fishers of men, excuse me, as well. Jesus doesn't call people based on their social or worldly significance. That's the first kind of point that we're uh, kind of going to focus on, is that Jesus doesn't call people based on their social or worldly significance. If we go back, and now we're going to focus on the Mark. I know we're bouncing around. But Mark, chapter 1, verse 16, says, that passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. See, Jesus did much of his ministry along the Sea of Galilee. 
Then if we look at the Sea of Galilee, and I pulled it up on the maps and everything, I wanted to see it. And it's like a, an upside-down oval, or I guess right-side-up, not this way. And it's about six miles wide and 14 miles long. So this is a massive body of water, right? And it's about 25 to 30 miles from the closest um, sea, like ocean, open ocean. And so this is what we would look at, and I would call this like a lake. This is a, like a lake. It's a sea, the Sea of Galilee. This is a massive sea, and Jesus did much of his ministry in the towns and cities around. There were many of these cities and, and towns, and so there was a large need for fish. The fish, the fish were plentiful, and so the fishing industry it flourished. And so John and James, brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew, brothers, they were fishermen who would have been in a trade and in a business that was that was booming, right? They made probably good money. They were probably comfortable. In society, they were seen as outcasts. They were seen as, as fishermen, right? But they were in a trade where they were, they were producing a lot of fish. They were taking in a lot of income. And this was something that they would not necessarily want to leave, that they wouldn't want to pursue some other kind of work, that they wouldn't want to pursue some other kind of job because they were comfortable in how they were with fishing. You see, Jesus, he could have called Pharisees. He could have called teachers, he could have called scribes, he could have called anyone else. But instead, he called those who were deemed to be outcasts by society. And so, if we look back at scripture, we see so many examples of the Lord using people that the world sees as insignificant, right? We have to ingrain into our hearts and in our minds and understand that God can use us wherever we are. And it does not matter what the world says of you, if you think you're insignificant, if your boss thinks you're insignificant, it does not matter what people think of you, but it matters what Christ says about you, who Christ says that you are. And we see examples in the Old Testament of people that are being used that are seemed as insignificant. David, he was a young shepherd boy, and eventually he was a murderer, but he was used by God. Moses is said to have had a speech problem, but he was used by God to lead the Israelites. Rahab who Jonathan has previously preached on in the past few months, was a prostitute, and she was used by God. Jacob was a cheater. He cheated Esau out of his birthright, and Jacob was used by God. Paul was a persecutor of Christians, and God was, Paul was used by God. Zacchaeus was a money-hungry tax collector, and he was used by God. Abraham was an old man, and he was used by God. See, in providing hope to a flawed and sinful world, God continually uses flawed and sinful people. And in this truth, there's hope for the believer here today that may feel like their sin discounts them from being used by God. Sin will only discount you from being used by God if you choose to remain in it. See, a call from Jesus a call to be used by him is a call to leave behind your selfish and worldly ambitions, to leave behind your flesh and to follow him. He says, come. Will you choose to follow? It doesn't matter where you are or who you are. Christ says, come. And we have a choice to wallow, to bask in our flesh, to choose the things of this world. And this is a difficult, difficult thing to do. To deny your flesh. Every part of you is sinful. 
Romans 3 tells us that there is no one that is righteous, not one. We are sinful in our nature. And we constantly reject God. We constantly turn away from God. And so it is a difficult task to turn away from our flesh, to sacrifice our flesh, and to turn to God and to follow him. But we see, and I think it worked out perfectly with the Advent being joy today, that there is fullness of joy when we do so. This world, we search and we search and we search for joy in, in the things that we see. We search for joy in our phones, in social media, and what people say about us. We search for joy in our jobs and how much money we can make, how much power we can take. We search for joy in how much we're loved by our neighbors, how much we're loved by our spouse. My spouse is not loving me well. Where is my joy? But there's fullness of joy that is found in Christ. Your circumstances, they do not change God's goodness. He is good, and there's fullness of joy in Christ, regardless of your circumstances. The second point we're going to be talking about is that when we look at this passage, we see that the mission of the gospel is urgent. The mission of the gospel is urgent. So I'm going to go back to the text and read verse 17 and 18 which says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. You see, in Jewish tradition, students would seek out rabbis to attach to and to learn laws and traditions from. And so there was a major difference in the way that Jesus and the disciples came to be, the way they, they came together. See, students would seek out teachers, but Jesus sought out students. Jesus was a master. He was a rabbi who sought out his own disciples. And this here could allude to the urgency of Jesus' mission, that he is actively searching for people to be sharers in this truth. Right? And the Pharisees, they wouldn't have liked this. They would have asked him, that, where are your credentials from, basically? You're not a rabbi. You're not a teacher. But Jesus is the Son of God. He is the greatest teacher. He is the great high priest. He's the most holy one. And he's far more than any of these Pharisees ever were or could be. And so Jesus' mission here is urgent. He's actively searching for people to be sharers in this message. And Jesus calls them fishers of men. It shows a clear distinction between catching fish and catching people, which sounds strange. And it's funny that he also uses fishers of men to talk about actual fishermen as well. And so if we look in the Old Testament, we see that fishing for people is present, but it's described in another way. So in the Old Testament, I'll read for you Jeremiah 16, 16. It says, Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. Then we have Ezekiel 29, 4-5, which says, I will put hooks in your jaws and make the fish of your streams stick to your scales. And I will draw you up out of the midst of your streams with all the fish of your streams that stick to your scales. And I will cast you out into the wilderness. 
you and all the fish of your streams. You shall fall on the open field and not be brought together or gathered. To the beasts of the earth and to the birds of the heavens I give you as food. You see, in the New Testament, when Jesus is talking about making fishers of men, he is talking about taking men from death into life to give them salvation, to give them hope. But in the Old Testament, it's referring to judgment. That they are fishing for men for the purpose of judgment. Men who are not honoring and glorifying the Lord. And so Jesus, he reverses the imagery here of fishing, of, uh, when just talking about fishing for men. And he describes this new role as that they are fishing for men for the purpose of bringing salvation rather than judgment. You see, Jesus' call on these men to be fishers of men is a call to join the mission of rescuing people from impending judgment. This is urgent. The matter of the gospel is urgent. To rescue people from judgment that we know is coming is urgent. I use this in youth, and I'm actually stealing this from Jonathan. I'm going to give him credit where it's due. Um, he showed a video one time in chapel of a, an atheist who was speaking chapel here at BCA. Um, and it was a video. And the guy was talking about how he, he doesn't believe in God, but he respects Christians who evangelize. He respects Christians who share. And Jonathan might have even told you guys this as well. But, um, and he, in contrary, he does not respect Christians who don't share. And the purpose is because he says, you believe that everyone who does not put their faith and trust in Jesus is bound for death, judgment, hell, all of the above. And you stand there and you watch. You don't share. It's like a bus coming at a person standing in the middle of the street. They're not looking. They don't know. They don't care. And you watch them get run over. And he said, Jonathan, I'm sorry for stealing this. It's too good. But he said, how much do you have to hate somebody to watch them go to hell? How much do you have to hate them to watch them go to hell? You have the antidote. You have the key. You have the answer. And you can freely give it to them. And all they can do is say no. All they can do is say no. The mission of the gospel is urgent. There is a bus heading, crashing into a sea of people that need saving, that need to be fished. This is an urgent cause. We are not promised tomorrow, and that's clear. Your neighbor, your friend, your uncle, your cousin, your son, your father, your mother, your daughter, whoever, they are not promised tomorrow. You are not promised tomorrow. And the mission of, a, of the gospel, sharing the gospel with that person, whoever it may be, is urgent. See, if you know me, I'm Tanner. I'm very clumsy. I'm a mess. Um, I've been injured more times in my life than I can count. I've broken um, elbow. I had uh, an extra bone growing in my foot. What in the world? Um, they had to take out surgically. I tore tendons. I've uh, cracked ribs. Um, I've done, gotten so many stitches I, I can't even count. I broke the, the worst one of all. I broke my forehead one time. So I am a clumsy, clumsy mess. I'm always hurt. I've probably been hurt more often in my life than I've been healthy. And I remember years ago, see, I was playing basketball. I loved to play basketball. I played in high school. And I was playing against a big, tall seven-footer. And he elbowed me right in the forehead. And um, it put a gash in my forehead. And if you, um, you probably can't see it from here, but it's like a, it's like a Harry Potter gash right there. And so immediately when he hit me in the forehead, 
It hurt a little bit. It wasn't too bad, but I noticed that blood was running down my face. And so my immediate reaction was to, to grab a towel, to wipe it up. And then when I realized that the cut was deep and it needed stitches, I immediately grabbed my keys, put the towel on my face, and drove to urgent care. Probably shouldn't have driven, but we made it. And you see, the reason that I went to urgent care was because there was a problem that needed immediate attention. It needed immediate attention. And I'm sure many of you have been in circumstances like this, where you or a loved one has been hurt, and they need immediate attention. And so you call the ambulance, or you, you rush them in the car, and you take them to urgent care. You take them to the ER. And you see, the lostness of the world, the impending judgment on non-believers, is an urgent problem that needs urgent care. And so we are to be disciples of Jesus who love the world, the people of the world enough to share with them the message and the hope of the gospel. Third, we see that our response to Jesus' call, and this alludes to what we were just talking about, is that our response should be immediate. Like I said, it's urgent. It's an urgent need. It's a pressing need. And so how are we going to react? And our reaction should be immediate. We're going to read verse 19 through 20. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. See, Mark, he suggests here by mentioning their father, Zebedee, that James and John are breaking familial ties. This is their family. See, Zebedee was probably a man of wealth. We can assume that because he was in this fishing trade. We see that the Old Testament, if we look back, it speaks very heavily on the need for children to respect their father and their mothers. Their fathers and their mothers. We see the need for children to, to honor their father and their mother. Scripture says that. We see um, their children caring for their fathers and their mothers in old age. There's a big emphasis on this. And so for James and John to be called away by somebody else and to leave their father immediately was a radical reorientation of their familial ties. Right, this is a business where they were being taught by their father, and eventually when their father's too old to do this, they would take over. They would take over the trade of fishing, they would sell the fish to the market, and they would make all the money that they could ever need to supply for their lives. And so to leave this so abruptly is a radical change. A radical change. See, verse 18 and 20, they show immediate obedience and devotion that these men respond with. Verse 18 says, And immediately they left their nets and followed him. These men, they saw Christ for who he truly was. You see, we go back to the John passage, and we see that John the Baptist, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, right? Behold the Lamb of God. The disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. John the Baptist has proclaimed to these men. You see, Andrew and John, they were John the Baptist's 
disciples before they were Jesus. They followed John the Baptist, who was preparing a way for Christ. We've already established that. And see, but it was not the, the tie to John the Baptist that these men, these disciples had. But it was the tie, they had a tie to his, um, they had a loyalty to his message, to the gospel. And so immediately when Jesus called Andrew and John, they left John the Baptist and went and followed Jesus. John the Baptist had continually told them about this Lamb of God that is to come. He's alluding to Isaiah 53 where we talk about the suffering servant, the Lamb that is to be slain. And he's telling them that this Messiah is here. The time has come, which you've awaited for for so many years. It is here. And they see Jesus and they recognize that this is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And they immediately leave John and they follow Jesus. They saw Christ for who he truly was. For who John the Baptist truly proclaimed him to be. You see, Christ meant more to these men than money. If money had meant more, they could have stayed where they were. Christ meant more to them than their jobs. Christ meant more to them than their homes and even their families. These men left behind family they left behind their homes, everything they had ever known to follow one man. And so I ask you today, what are you seeking? What is it that you search for? See, all that your heart desires can be found if you follow Jesus. It's like we talked about earlier. We are constantly and constantly striving to fill ourselves up. We pour so much out into everything and we want to be filled up. We want to feel joy. We want to feel happiness. And so we go to hang out with our friends. And we fill ourselves up. But it runs out. We go and we, we turn to sin. We watch something we shouldn't watch. We do something we shouldn't do. And we're filling ourselves up, but it, never, it always runs out. It's never enough. Never, ever enough. But there is a person, there is a man who is enough. See, he's living water. When he talks to the woman at the well, he says, you will never thirst again. Right? We are thirsty and thirsty, and there's a longing in our hearts for worship. We were made, did you know that? We were made to worship. We were built for worship. And so you will worship. You will either worship Christ, or you will worship yourself and the world. In not worshiping Christ, you are choosing to worship yourself. You are choosing to worship the world. We're going to constantly try to fill ourselves with something, and it will all run out because it is not living water. But Christ is. And so when we fill ourselves with Christ, we are full of living water that never runs dry. It is an overflowing spring of joy, of peace, of hope, and of salvation. So I ask you again, what is it that you're seeking? Jesus says in the John account, come and you will see. See? Come and see that all you've been searching for is here. Come and see that if you repent and you believe, your sins are forgiven. Come and see that fullness of joy is found in me. And come and see that your worth is not in what the world thinks of you. Come and see. Christ, his hand is extended, his hand is out, and he wants you to come and see. He knows that you're seeking. See, these men, they, were, they went up to Christ, they approached him, they saw him, and Christ says, what are you seeking? And his hand is out. 
He wants them to come and see. He wants them to familiarize themselves with him, with his gospel, with his truth, his word, to know him deeply and intimately. A surface level faith is not enough. If we try and try and try to fill ourselves, like I said, with the world, with what we want, and we get our little hint of Jesus every week, we, we dabble in Jesus and we dabble in the things that we want to do. We can't do this. We must choose. Choose to come and see. Or choose to leave. Choose to flee our sin. And to feel the fullness of joy that's in Christ. Or choose to go to a world that is fleeting. A world that will perish. To sins that will never fill us up. You see, if we turn to Jesus, what we're seeking for, we will find. But if we come here and we don't come to Jesus, then we will continually search and search and search and search. There will never be an answer. We'll never get what we want. So what's holding us back today? What is holding us back from immediately leaving our nets and following his call. These men, when I first read this passage um, a while back, many years ago, I mean, I had read it before, but when I really studied it and looked in this passage, I was like, hey, I don't know when I'm preaching, but that's the one I'm preaching, when I, whenever I do. Jonathan told me like three years ago, he said, Tanner, one day you're going to preach. I said, no, I'm not. And um, here I am. Uh, and so I, eventually I accepted my fate that I would be before you one day. And uh, it was that passage that stuck out to me. And I said, this is the passage that I want to bring to this congregation. All right? And I created it. Actually, I couldn't wait. And so I gave it to the students first. And then I adjusted it for you guys. But um, this passage, it, it stuck with me because these men, they've known this trade their whole lives. They've known their family their whole lives. Everything they've ever known, everything they've ever done is right here. Right? And we think, these men didn't have cars. They didn't have planes. And so in, re- in reality, they probably never went more than, I think I read, a, like a 20-mile like, circumference. Right? Most men never traveled outside of that because everything was by foot or by animal. But one man extended out his hand, said, come and see. And these men left everything. Everything. And so why do I, when Christ extends his hand to me, why do I turn and I say, I want you, but I don't want all of you. I want to hold on to this. Why do I do that? Why can I not be like these men who, who dropped everything? They immediately, Scripture says that they immediately left their nets and they followed Christ. Immediately. There was no hesitation. They knew that this was the Son of God. And we see later in these passages that it took some convincing for some of them. But when they understood and they saw that this is the Son of God, the Messiah that has been prophesied about for years and years and years, the long-awaited king, they said, let's go. They dropped their nets, they dropped everything, and they ran towards Jesus. And so what's holding you back? Is there sin in your life that's holding you back from coming to him, 
from seeing all that he has to offer? Is there sin? Because there's good news. If there is sin, there's hope. You don't have to stay in your sin. You see, sin bounds us. We're bound by our sin. We're bound by the world. But these chains can be broken. Only by Christ. And so if we truly accept what he has to offer, then we can be saved. Right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is it. Confess with your mouth. Repent today. Delayed repentance is the worst thing in the world you can do. If you fall short, and I've been there, you fall short and you feel like, I'm not worthy enough to come to the Lord right now and to repent. He doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't want to see me. He doesn't want me to come to him. I've done this over and over and over again. And you, so you delay your repentance because you don't want to go before him. But he wants you to come immediately. He wants you to immediately drop everything, come to him, repent, believe, follow. No matter what you're doing, no matter what sin you're in, I love to say this, I love this, is that before you sinned, while you sinned, and after you sinned, see, Christ's love never changed. His love for you is constant. It's a solid rock that never changes and it never wavers. So even in the moment, the second that you were committing whatever sin it is that you're struggling with, in that exact moment, Christ loved you the same as he did when he died on the cross for you. Christ loved you the same as he did when he brought you into this world. His love for you is endless. It's a love that we could never fully reciprocate. Not until the end, until we're with him. It's a love that we could never fully understand. And so our choice today is, do we want to love him back, or do we want to love the world? Do we want to accept the offer that he has extended? If you believe, excuse me, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is all. So do that. I want to invite you today, right? See, I'm a young kid. This is my first sermon ever in front of this many people. I'm scared to death of you guys. <laughs> 22 years old. Many of you are old enough to be my parents. Many of you are old enough to be my grandparents. And so to hear a sermon from me, you may think, what in the world am I listening to this young cat for? What does he know that I haven't been told already? What does he know that I haven't read a hundred times? What can he preach and teach to me that I haven't been taught a hundred times. And I'm asking you not to trust me. I'm a sinner. I'm a man. A young man. A man that constantly falls short. Constantly. And I will fail you. Your pastor will fail you. Your friends will fail you. Your parents will fail you. Your teachers and your students and your friends. Everybody will fail you. But don't take my word for it. Go to the scripture. Take the word of Christ. He loves you. And so this truth, that if you put your faith and your trust in Christ, if you repent, if you confess, and if you believe that you can be saved, it's one you've heard probably a thousand times if you've been to church your whole life. Maybe more. 
And so to hear words coming from me, it, may, it means nothing that it's from me, but it's from God's word. I'm merely a vessel, a man that is being used in this current moment, and hopefully not again for a little while, to share the message of the gospel again with you. Right? Jesus had a message that he wanted to find sharers with. And so he spent his time seeking out students rather than being sought out. Urgently searching for people to be disciples. Searching for people to teach, to raise up, to love God and to love him, to love others. And to eventually, when he is gone and has ascended into heaven, to be his hands and his feet. And we may think that, hey, Jesus was searching then, and it stopped. But he is still searching today. Christ is searching for disciples. He is searching for people to follow him. He is searching for people to come to him and to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We want to be a people who grow. We see growth in numbers. But more important than in numbers, we want to be a people who see growth in the spiritual mindsets, in the spirituality of people. That in their hearts, they're, they're growing closer to Christ. I don't care how many people fill these pews. I don't care how many people come on Wednesday nights. I don't care how many people I'm friends with on Facebook. I don't care anything about numbers. I want to see growth in the people that are here. If there's one person in this room that I've, that I'm preaching to, that has seen this truth, this gospel, and is being impacted by that, then everything is worth it. And so, again, last time, come and see. His hand is out. It doesn't matter who you are, how insignificant you feel, it's urgent. The gospel is urgent. See, he's come, and the Advent season worked perfect with this. He's come, and we celebrate that. But guess what, church? He's coming again. And we don't know the time. We don't know the place. So repent. Turn from your sin. Take fullness of joy in him, and not of the, in things of this world. Choose to love him with all of your heart. Whether you're in your 20s, your teens, you're 60, 90 years old. It's not too late. It's not too early. Do it now. Choose to follow his call. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for all that you are. God, I thank you for this passage. And God, the chance that we have to just get into your word, to, to learn, Father, to grow. God, I thank you for each and every single person here that has accepted the call that you've had on their life, Father. The call to salvation. And Father, I pray that others around, Father, who may not have accepted that call to salvation, that they would do that, God. That you would take hold of their hearts and that when you knock, God, they would answer. That they would take hold of your hand and they would choose to follow a God who loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them. So, Father, I ask that you would just continue to use this time. Father, use these people, God. Pray that during this time of response, 
God, that you would be glorified. Father, that people who have been touched, Father, whether they come to the front, whether they stay in their seats, whatever they need to do, God, that these people would choose to come to you. Father, that they would not delay their repentance. God, that they would not delay their salvation and say, hey, I can do this another time. But that they would say that right now, this is a gospel that is urgent and I immediately need to drop everything and follow. God, I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for how you've moved, Father, and I pray that you would continue to do so. God, continue to use people like us to further your gospel, to advance your kingdom. Father, we praise you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.